0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Sadly, the NBA does not use ZipRecruiter as we knew in game four when the referees were horrible. I hope the referees are better tonight. I think ZipRecruiter would have done a better job finding them. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate within a day, my listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans wants to help you whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth. They'll give you a transparent online process and the confidence to make an informed decision, get a real mortgage approval in minutes. Adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to get started. Go to Rocketmortgage.com/slash Bill Simmons, Equal Housing Lender, licensed in all 50 states, and MLS ConsumerAccess.org number 30. 30. If you miss Tuesdays. BS podcast. We had uh, Allison Herman, Lindsay Zolads, and Katie Baker to discuss a very bizarre SNL season, best TV shows, a wacky NHL playoffs, and Childish Gambino and Kanye West. That was an action packed podcast. I'm pretty sure that's the only one that combined all of those topics this week into one podcast. If you want to check out the ringer.com, Justin Verrier wrote about LeBron James. Justin Charity wrote, can anything bring down R. Kelly? Probably not. Shea Serrano uh, did the yeah, but arguments for the 2018 NBA playoffs. There was an exit interview for the Utah Jazz. Whole bunch of good stuff. And if you want to hear instant reactions to tonight's Sixers Celtics game, the Ringer NBA show is going to be live right after the game on Twitter. Go to @Ringer. Chris Ryan and the gang will be reacting. Chris Ryan hopefully will not be in a coma. Um, hopefully he he will be coherent. We'll see. His Sixers facing elimination. And, uh, and we'll be on Twitter and then we'll run that on a podcast right afterwards. So uh, I was sad to miss, we had all of our NFL people in, in, in the LA offices this week having meetings and stuff. I was sad to miss it. Robert Mays was all gushy afterwards. He really had a good time. Uh, shout out to Mays. Shout out to uh, all the LA people. I'll be back later this week after this game five. Coming up, David Griffin, who has never been on this podcast, but I think has been on every other podcast, as well as uh, Jacko, because Yankees Red Sox heating up. But first, our friends from Pearl Mm Jam. All right, on the line right now, I think this is the last podcast that he hasn't been on. David Griffin, former Cavaliers GM, uh, media mogul. I don't know, he's got 19 gigs all of a sudden. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you?
1: Doing well, Bill. Thank you very much.
0: So you worked with LeBron James for a few years there. LeBron has gone to (laughs) another level, I would say, maybe since the beginning of March. And I've been trying to figure out how the hell he's doing this and how the hell he's getting even better offensively at this relatively advanced age that he has. Windhorst had a piece this week about how LeBron has learned how to rest during games and actually carries one of the slowest workloads of anybody just in terms of the amount of ground he covers in a game and picks his spots and just conserves energy as he's going. Do you buy this? Do you believe this? Or is there something else?
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's true. I I think a huge part of his improvement, though, comes from the improvement in his shooting, uh, his comfort level with the shooting, his willingness to go to the free throw line late. Uh, These are things that I think he's addressed from a skill set standpoint and from a confidence standpoint. But He's so cerebral you know we used to we used to joke that he was a computer on learning mode. Um, yeah. he's such a savant and he figures out the angles to such a huge degree that it's not a surprise he figured out how to game the system a little bit. Um, it's why the the flip the switch notion is so real. it's why we believed in it so much in Cleveland because the gap between regular season LeBron and playoff LeBron, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, is bigger than any player in the league, let alone any superstar. So when he's revved up at that level, people haven't seen it for 82 games. They don't even know what to make of it for a while.
0: So, what do we do? We just throw out the MVP at this point because we have seen all these teams smartly use the regular season just to kind of survive it and stay as healthy as they possibly can. And LeBron is somebody that. I don't know, for the most part, has thrown away the regular season and really concentrates on peaking in the playoffs. And now we have this MVP where you're voting on these six months that ultimately don't matter that much, as Toronto proved and and Portland proved and a bunch of other teams. Do you think we need a different yeah. award? Do we need a playoffs MVP? What do we do here?
1: Well, it's funny. I, first of all, I think LeBron made it pretty clear early on uh, in his time with us that what he really cared about was being finals MVP, um, which is part of, I think, how he's addressing the gap. He, he recognizes to a huge degree he might be giving away MVP awards in a regular season in the interest of playoff success. So to some degree he's addressed it himself with the way he focuses his effort. But I think what would be cool and uh, I don't know why the NBA wouldn't do this. There'd certainly be no harm in it. In fact, it might make more people show up at the awards show. Do something where you've got an offensive player of the year and have an MVP. Do something where you have a performance of the year or outstanding season of the year and an MVP. Because Mm. in the NFL, you've got an offensive player of the year. But if you had Offensive Player of the Year and MVP, Tom Brady can be MVP every year because he's obviously the most valuable player to his team, and you can still recognize the freakish performance of somebody else.
0: I wish I had a playoffs MVP, and I wrote about this in my book in 2009 where I just went backwards and tried to figure out if the playoffs MVP and finals MVP would have been different year by year. And there were some glaring examples, like in 07, The Spurs won the title. Tim Duncan was one of the best players in the world and easily the best and most important player in that team. But they swept the Cavs, and Tony Parker got hot for a couple games, and he's the Finals MVP. And if you go back and look at that season, Dirk's the regular season MVP. Tony Parker's the Finals MVP. There's no real record of Tim Duncan, who was the most important player in the league that year. Uh, (laughs) So that doesn't make a lot of sense. I would be
1: all for that. I'd be all for that. And I think the year Andre Iguodala won finals MVP and LeBron carried the shell of our team to the finals on his yep. back, basically averaging a triple-double all playoffs, he's clearly the playoffs MVP. So to your point, I think it's a great idea. And I loved it when you mentioned it in the book as well.
0: So here's my theory on LeBron, because we saw him do this in 2010 and we saw them do, do it in 2014. Both of those years when he realized he had a losing hand basically at the, at the poker table, it, he didn't quit on the team, but he checked out. He became very detached, um, almost, almost became insulated and and wasn't leading on the court and was doing his job, was playing hard, but there was something missing and you could see it. You could see he wasn't clicking and connecting with the teammates. And you could see, it's almost like he was putting up this invisible guard. And he definitely did it in 2010 and 2014. And I felt like it was heading there in game four of that Indiana series. And there was this moment during that series when if Indiana could have broken them, if Corver misses two threes, if it just goes sideways, that LeBron was ready to check out and be like, you know what, this team sucks. I deserve better than this and move on. Did you see that or am I imagining it?
1: You know, it's funny. I, I wasn't there in Cleveland in 10, um, and obviously from a distance looked at the situation. I, I think what's so ridiculous about how good LeBron is and how much better he is than everybody else, we he dictates outcome to such a huge degree that you sort of dismiss the fact that everybody, when they believe, when they have that spirit, when they're in a place where they're they just feel better about themselves and they're more properly motivated is better. Everyone is Jordan was Michael. I mean, everyone's better when they're in a better place. And I think what happens with LeBron is you need to keep him in the frame of mind where he's going to dictate outcome in a positive way because he gets so frustrated with people's inability to rise to his level. Yeah, that it makes it difficult to play with him. So, yeah, I watched the series the exact same same way you did. And I did think there was a point where they were teetering on lack of faith. I don't think it's because he quits on them. I think it's because at that point it becomes clear he doesn't believe in them enough to carry them in the way he has been carrying them. Right. Um, So it's it's different.
0: Well, you said you said his brain is like a, a computer that's constantly learning. He must hit a point during some of these seasons where he realizes, "Oh, I, I don't have the horses. That I could, I could go to the craziest level I've ever gone to, and it still might not matter." And that's that's what I was seeing to some degree in Game Four. But what he did know at the time was Corvin Love started clicking. Um, he gets this out of nowhere performance from Thompson in Game Seven, and then by the end of Game Seven, you could see he was all the way back in. And and it was like a completely different team. It was like they put them in a washer and dryer and knocked them around for forty five minutes and spat them back out. And now they're <laughs> the clear, now they're the clear favorites to come out of the East. And you know, a week and a half ago, I was thinking they were going to lose in the, to Indiana in five. It's pretty crazy.
1: It's funny. So if LeBron was if LeBron wasn't on Cleveland's team and they did what they did, everything you said, you'd say, Jesus, Ty Lue's a hell of a coach. I mean. he hmm. Pushed all the right buttons. He ran all the right sets to get Kyle and Love going. He put Tristan back in the lineup. He put all of the right pieces around each other that knew how to win together. Like you give him a bunch of credit for that. True. But because it's LeBron, you focus on what did LeBron do to make it work. What was he about to do to make it fail? And and that's the thing that I think makes it so clear he's the MVP. If you put that dude on any team. All we're going to focus on are his contributions to the bigger picture. And you don't talk about the fact that Ty Lue played all of the guys who knew how to win together and eventually got off of the guys who weren't ready for the moment. And now I'm the biggest Brad Stevens fan alive, um, and I'm a huge fan of yours, so the only way I could get on the pod was to pander to you with some Brad Stevens <laughs> love. But <laughs> I, I, I think he gets all of the credit in that circumstance because of what their roster has been and all of the turmoil they've had injury-wise and all of that. And Ty Lue doesn't ever get any of that love. Meanwhile, other coaches will very openly say, man, I'm not going to get hit by you after timeout tonight. I'm just going to go zone right after timeout because you're not going to embarrass me again. So it's a, it's a fascinating dynamic with LeBron around.
0: Isn't that the curse of LeBron to some degrees when, when the Cavs win, it's all LeBron. He gets all the credit. And when the Cavs don't win, it's everyone else's fault. It's the coach's fault and it's his teammates and this guy. It, it's like he has this built-in, it can't be his fault if they lose because he's LeBron. But I think that's a really tough position to be in, not only if you're the coach, but I think we've seen guys who just couldn't handle it. Like a, like a lot of the guys they traded this year and some some guys in past years really seem to kind of fold from that constant pressure of, I I basically can't win. I just have to survive. Right.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's the same with any true great, like people thought I was crazy when I said the thing about feeling like I was caretaking for the legacy of Babe Ruth with LeBron. Well, look, when you, when you cut through all of it, when you look at the history of baseball, you talk about everything that Babe did and Babe won all these games and Babe did all these things. You don't talk about, who was his catcher when he was pitching? You don't talk about the things that contributed to his success. You talk about his greatness. So I think that's always happened with truly great players. And in this day and age where everybody wants to anoint everyone, a superstar, we've lost sight of the fact that there may only be one or two in every sport that dictate outcome like that. So Yeah, it's 100%, I guess, that there's a curse of being with LeBron. It's that he's going to get all the credit. But he's also, in all likelihood, going to get all of the blame in the end. Maybe not in the short term, but long term, his legacy needs to succeed.
0: Well, his inability to figure out how to keep Kyrie happy, I think, was his biggest teammate failure. I would say of the last 10 years. Now I've heard, I've heard you talk about this in different platforms and you're pretty adamant that this was a Kyrie thing and it didn't have anything to do with Kyrie and LeBron. And yet we've seen this situation over and over again in NBA history where you have, you know, you basically need two great guys to keep winning multiple titles. And at some point somebody's Batman and somebody's Robin and (laughs) how the person adjusts to being Robin is whether, is that decides whether it's going to work long-term or not. And I think the the most famous example of this is Kobe Bryant. Shaq was the best guy in those three finals teams, despite what Barkley was trying to say last night on that crazy TNT <laughs> show. Um, but Kobe was the Google was the Robin. Shot. Yeah. Uh, Kobe was the Robin and Kobe didn't want to be Robin anymore. And that's why that's so combusted. Could Ky- Why couldn't Kyrie have stayed as the Robin? What was it in Kyrie's makeup that made him want to be Batman?
1: So I think part of it is the dynamic. You know, I've, I've seen a lot written about the Kobe-Shaq dynamic, and we watched it when we were in Phoenix. We were pretty close to it to see them interact together. And they felt like they had a, a greater level of malice and petty towards each other on a human level, hmm. from a distance at least, than I ever felt like Kyrie and LeBron had. I really think it was a situational thing for us. Somebody has to be Pippen and somebody has to be Jordan. I think that's true. But Scottie Pippen got to the league because he was a freakishly gifted defensive player. And everything that he became offensively, certainly not the passing. He had that, like he was an ansoniola playmaker. But everything he had that brought him to the league helped him grow and evolve to the point where he was as good as he was. But it wasn't like... The situation in Chicago precluded him from showing those things. Michael needed everything that Scotty was, so they fit together. And I think the fit of LeBron and Kyrie was difficult because Kyrie was so good offensively. He had been carrying the load offensively for a bad team, hadn't been raised to understand how to lead and, and help you win necessarily, hadn't been given that opportunity yet. And just when we're going to be good, LeBron shows up and it's his team. So he never got the chance to take like the natural progression in his career where he had to try to carry the load and see how good he could be. And he really wanted that. He'd been doing it on a bad team. He wanted a chance to do it on a good team. And it wasn't about being the man. It's how good can I be? What, What am I capable of? LeBron can score. He doesn't need me to score. LeBron can make all the passes. He doesn't need me to do that. I'm not a better defender than he is. So I think you get to the point where the fit and the need LeBron had for Kyrie wasn't going to allow him to become Scotty because he didn't need Kyrie to fill in the gaps necessarily. Now, would it have been better situationally? he didn't fill in the gaps. Would it have been better if they could have tricked each other into recognizing, hey, look, just make it until we get to the finals and then you take over? Yeah, that would have been great, but I just don't think that's a very realistic outcome when you're talking yeah, yeah. about guys as talented as those guys.
0: Yeah, I, I was surprised like, when he got to Boston, and I obviously know a lot of people in the Boston organization. I think all of them were surprised by what an alpha dog Kyrie was and how similar he was in personality to KG, which they just weren't expecting. And they were surprised that Kyrie could have lasted in LeBron's shadow that long. He really wanted to be the guy. Um, but I think, I think if there's a basketball, I don't want to say tragedy, but just a maybe a bummer for LeBron's career, um, the stuff Kyrie brought to the table for him in, in a weird way really did compliment him because I think one of the best yeah. things about the, one of the greatest things about Kyrie and the thing that I was just shocked by watch. I know you got to watch him game in game out for, yeah, I forget how many years, but I really, this is the first year I got to really watch him carefully week after week. And what's really incredible about him is how he doesn't need to be involved and can get involved anytime he wants and can stay at a certain level of hotness and get his shot basically on any play. And does it? It does. Isn't one of those guys who needs to score fifty? And he was like, "Oh shit, I'm feeling it tonight. I'm going to go for 70. He just doesn't care. He he'll, he establishes whatever he wants to establish on one play in the first quarter to remind whoever's guarding him that he can go to the basket whatever he wants. And then he just kind of gets everyone involved and lets the game come to everybody. And uh, and that's kind of the perfect guy to play with LeBron, right? On paper, but it's almost like he yeah. was overqualified for it.
1: Yeah. It's funny. He is. He's perfect. And I actually, I'll think of it as one of the biggest failures in my time in Cleveland that I couldn't grow that to a level of individual accountability where they felt that beholden to each other. Um, I, I think one of the things that really separates Kyrie LeBron KG, I think they all have this, they're all superstar talented, but they desperately want to be told what they need to hear and I think Kyrie really was searching for an environment like Boston relative to Brad, the way he raised that young team. They have such ridiculous personal accountability to one another that in that environment, Kyrie was more than willing to stand off on the side and wait. And I think KG didn't really become KG until he was put in a situation where somebody else would call him out and tell him what he needed to hear. And my role with LeBron was very much to do that. And I don't think I recognized the degree to which I could have impacted Kyrie positively. And we were very close. I mean, I I love the guy. And I I don't think I realized at the time the degree to which we could have shaped and impacted his willingness to be patient just with the way the environment was being developed.
0: Well, it almost seems like a Brady Garoppolo story, as weird as that analogy is, where Kyrie probably thought, well, you know, nobody stays great for 15 years. Like at some point LeBron's going to start breaking down a little bit and then I'll become the guy and it'll switch. And it became clear uh, last year that that was never happening. And that LeBron is obviously going to play until he's 75 years old. And I'm sure Kyrie, <laughs> I'm sure Kyrie was probably looking at it like, ah, I don't know if I can do this, but I do think, I do think there's a piece to him. I do think there are parallels with him and Durant where part of why they wanted to leave because they knew there was a better basketball situation out there. And that seems weird to say, because Kyrie was playing with somebody who's now probably the second best player of all time. If not the first, I have number two, or maybe two A and Russell two B, but I'm sure Kyrie saw this whole world where, you know, it wasn't just your turn, my turn. And uh, everybody's spread out and occasionally I'll get the ball, but it's like, I can move off picks. I can do weird things. I could he probably saw the stuff Stevens did. And once he knew Boston was on the table, he's like, I want to go there. It's a great organization, a great coach. Like, that'll be awesome. I'll be, I'll be a better basketball yeah. player. And I do think Durant was like that too with Golden State. That's a better place for me to develop as a basketball player. You buy that.
1: Yeah, for sure I do. And I think the reason is, Certainly in the situation of Kyrie, I don't think this is necessarily true of Durant because he was growing all the time in the environment Russell was part of. But in the case of Kyrie, the situation in Boston fit what he had grown to be able to do before LeBron got there. You know, when we sat down with Kyrie and he made the decision to stay with us, he recruited every free agent that we were going to bring in, and successfully so. Everyone was willing to play with him and was excited to play with him. And we were waiting on LeBron to make his decision. And obviously, LeBron wants to come back. You're going to get the greatest player of his generation. You're going to bring LeBron. But Kyrie was really engaged in building a team around him and successfully recruited Hayward, by way of example, as a free agent. And Trevor Ariza would have wanted to come with us. I mean, we had had gotten commitments from a lot of guys who were waiting on LeBron to make a decision. So you're Kyrie. You've been carrying a very bad team. You now re-sign, you successfully recruit a bunch of all-American <laughs> all Team USA kind of players that you're ready to win with, you're going to be the man on that team, and then you're not. So I, I think his development was stunted from what he was led to believe it was going to be just by virtue of the situation.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's really unique. I, I don't think that's true of, of Durant's situation. And at the same time, I think you're right. Durant had to leave to really be in the situation that was the ultimate expression of his greatness. And I, I think that's what Kyrie chose to do.
0: I want to keep talking about Kyrie quick break. Let's take a quick break to talk about Casper, the sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time with three mattress models. The original Casper, the wave, and the essential Casper mattress is perfectly designed to soothe and cradle Your natural geometry, not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. It's delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that size box with free shipping and returns in the US and Canada? Rough times for Canada, by the way. Hockey playoffs, they got no hit last night. Raptors are out. Oof. Even better, Casper offers a 100 night risk free sleep on it trial. Returns hassle free if you're not completely satisfied. They mailed me a mattress two years ago. We've been using it ever since I started sleeping better. It actually made me feel stupid that I didn't care about my mattress sooner. Get $50 towards select mattresses. All you have to do is visit casper.com slash BS. Use BS at checkout. Once again, casper.com slash BS. Offer code BS for $50 off your mattress purchase maybe nephew kyle can do that i think i think his mattress actually gets up and walks around his apartment at this point i'm pretty sure my mattress is your old mattress
1: <laughs> oh is it
0: <laughs> yeah oh we got to get you a casper mattress we had that mattress for like 10 years uh check it out casper.com slash bs offer code bs for 50 dollars off your mattress purchase terms and conditions apply all right we're back uh Kyrie irving he hits the biggest shot in the one game that LeBron wins, that ends up winning LeBron the title and bringing the title to Cleveland and all that stuff, and when that yeah. happened, I thought I thought those guys, oh, this is this is going to last forever. And then obviously things changed the following summer. You were not the GM of Cleveland by that point. You left, um, I think, in June, so a, m- a month before it came out that Kyrie wanted to get traded. I still think it was a mistake to trade Kyrie. I would have kept him and tried to figure it out and done everything to try to figure it out, at least until February. And if things got bad, then make the move. Once they didn't have like really a legitimate a hundred cents in the dollar trade for him, I just wouldn't have traded him. And I and I was stunned by how many people thought Cleveland got the better of the trade and kind of seemed to underestimate how good Kyrie was. So this is a two-part question. I'll go to the first part. Were you shocked that people didn't realize how good Kyrie was?
1: Yes. Um, and I can remember having a conversation with Ainge when when he called to pick my brain about Kyrie. Um, and one of the first things I told him was, this is a kid who had 10 assists in a quarter just to prove he could do it. He, he's so good. He can decide to do certain things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was I was surprised more people hadn't looked at his body of work and figured out how truly transcendent he could be, certainly offensively.
0: Yeah, okay. And also we saw him deliver on the biggest possible stage in the most possible pressure. So that's one reason I wouldn't have traded him. The other reason is sometimes this stuff, you just kind of have to wait it out and it gets better. There's been a lot of different moments over the course of NBA history when a team actually didn't panic and wrote it out. I think one of the more recently famous examples was Kobe in 2007 when he wanted to get traded and they went pretty far down the road with the Pistons trade. And then Dr. Buss came in and just blocked it. He's like, no way, we're not trading Kobe Bryant. What are you guys doing? And that was it. And within two years, they won the title. Um, If you had been the GM, would you have thrown your body in front of the Kyrie trade?
1: It's it's funny actually. I, I think a lot about the situation and again, All of this was sort of the perfect storm. So I leave the Monday before the draft. Um, And I knew throughout those playoffs that Kyrie wasn't obviously terribly happy with the situation and that there was a struggle. And as I said, Kyrie and I were close. We talked a lot. I, I could tell what what was going to be a little bit of an issue for him and where we were going to be in the off season. But I think the most recent example of this is Popovich convincing LaMarcus Aldrich to stay when LaMarcus asked for a trade. Great point. When it's Pop, when it's Pop and Pop tells you X, Y, Z, you take it to the bank. It's a given. This guy has all the power. He has all the authority. I can believe in Pop for 21 years. I can believe in Pop. And I think where Kyrie had gotten was in my absence, everything was sort of an upheaval. Chauncey's coming, he's not coming. He and Jeff Wexler are dealing with a situation where they don't know what they can trust. They don't know what they can believe in. And I think it accelerated and exacerbated the situation in a way that in the presence of someone who ultimately everybody trusted and knew had authority, you would have been able to do a different thing. Yeah. And I don't think they were in a position where they were going to get to do that because there was just too much turmoil at play and no one that was actually in charge at the time. So it's it's not fair to say what would have happened if there was someone in charge they trusted and believed in because that wasn't the situation they were dealing from.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I I do think... Uh, I don't know. I, I think once once he found out that Boston was a real possibility, that probably changed the equation too. If it had just been the Denver Phoenix type of teams, you can kind of maybe reel them back in at that point. I think I gotta be honest. I think it's incredible that the Cavs are going to make the finals again. I, I, I I was watching them January, February, and even before they made the trades, then they made all the trades and everybody's like, they saved their season. And and I felt like I was a voice crying in the wilderness going, whoa. How did they save their season that three of those four guys have never been in a big game in their lives? And the only one who has is George Hill, who's always hurt. What what season did they save? And <laughs> and then you look at, you know, by game three of the last series, none of the new guys are playing and George Hill's hurt. But now George Hill's playing well. And the five guys that LeBron basically knows he can go to war with. And somehow this is enough to make the finals. I, I I'm just like staggered by this whole thing.
1: You are, but you're not. Like if 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 you just separate yourself from all of the craziness that is Cleveland, if if you look at it and you say, okay, let's take LeBron James and put him on any team in the East, what would the expectation level be? Yeah. They're supposed to do this. That's how good he is. So it's it's funny when I when I see that, and I've seen some of the things you've talked about, like Kobe Altman taking his victory lap after the trades. Yeah. I thought he did a remarkable job playing the cards no. he was dealt. No, like, I really did. I disagree. I, I thought he did. Let's
0: disagree on so, this. And that's okay.
1: And we can get into this. But I thought he did a really good job for this reason. Don't even think about the players he brought back. He got LeBron to buy into the notion of, okay, this team can win. And therefore, he got the LeBron that dictates outcome in a positive way. And that LeBron could be on any team in the league, and he's supposed to go to the finals.
2: So he ask- that's
1: the value of putting Braun in the right space is giving him hope. Now, look, are there individual players that he brought back that aren't contributing? Sure. George Hill's never healthy. Also true. He makes a ton of money. Also true. When he's healthy defensively, his presence makes it possible for Corver and Love and JR to start together and do the things they do that make LeBron comfortable, which isn't a small thing.
0: True. I uh I just didn't like the trades and and I felt like <laughs> I felt like uh you know now it's if he leaves there's no safety net whatsoever other than this Brooklyn pick that isn't really even a great pick, you know. It's I think it's pick 9. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But but they're sal- they're in salary cap hell and there's no real way for them to bounce out of it. So I guess basically it was a Hail Mary. And now if LeBron makes the finals becomes much more unrealistic, I think for him to leave. And that also doesn't really seem like there's the right team for him. I, you know, Philly's had a lot of buzz. I would, for him, I would say since January, February, I started really hearing whispers and I don't think it's any secret that, um, there's some overlapping friendships and business relationships and Ben Simmons is there. And obviously, um, it's a possibility. What you what you know of LeBron, could you see him joining someone else's team like that again to basically join the Simmons and Bead process whole thing and just kind of insert himself into this? Because he did it that one other time with Dwayne Wade. And, and I'm sure even though it worked out all right that first year, he took so much shit for it. I just find it hard to believe he's going to do that again at this point of his career. What do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think he's as likely to join Simmons in L.A., (laughs) join Bill Simmons in L.A. as he is, silly. Um, And the the reason I I say that is, knowing LeBron like I do, when he makes his mind up that something is the main thing for him, it is. And he can bring about whatever reality he wants to. He's a savant as well. He believes that his presence anywhere makes them at least a co-contender, So I don't think he's going to make his decision necessarily based on where he has the best chance to win. I think it's going to be about what's the best expression for what he wants the next phase of his legacy to look like. And I don't have any idea what that is. I I really don't. But I don't think we know any of the things he's going to make the decision based on. And it's, it's really hard to say. It's funny. I think the trades being a Hail Mary or something that actually work in their favor to this extent. When LeBron's on a one-year contract every year, you don't get to be long-term sustainable. You don't get to do Danny Ainge. You don't get to play that game. Those aren't the cards you're being dealt. You have to win right now and put him in a position, a frame of mind, where he believes he's going to win in the future. And everything that happens because he's on one-year deals at the absolute maximum amount of money is an unsustainable formula. So to, to some degree, he puts himself in that situation as well. And I, I think he appreciates that because it was, it's what gives him the ability to make Cleveland do what they did. He doesn't care if Cleveland has nothing left if he walks. He cares right. if Cleveland believes in him enough to invest in him. And I think they did that. So the message they're sending to him is, look, we still get it. And yeah. so I... Again, that's meaningful if you're Dan Gilbert. You you really have to do that.
0: I'm torn on it because, you know, on the one hand, there's no loyalty in sports anywhere, and there never was. And I think Isaiah Thomas getting traded from Boston and how OKC so quickly turned on Durant, he was just reminded over and over again that there's no loyalty in sports. So for LeBron to take these series of one-year deals, which are really damaging for a team because you have no stability at all, I, how many first round picks did you trade when, when he showed up five, five and three years that like you basically gutted the future of the team because it was the, he was holding this carrot. Like we had, we need to be good now. We need to be good now. We need to be good now. And that was, you were the prisoner of that. But on the other hand, I don't blame him for doing that. He had all the power and players never have power. So basically I don't know how to feel about it.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I don't, I don't know how many picks it was. Um, to be honest with you, I think the, the the deal that gets talked about the most in terms of number of picks was J.R. Shumpert and Mozgov, and it looked like you gave up two firsts to get Mozzie, but really all you did was give up the Memphis pick that you already had. Yeah. The thing that I think relative to the future of the team, it's one thing to give up protected first-round picks and to bring in guys that fit him really well and fit your timeline and all of that. It's another thing to give up an unprotected pick or to do what... Brooklyn did, where they genuinely gave themselves no future of any kind. That's not what happened with the LeBron existence. But because Kyrie was lost in the process, the one piece that was going to be absolutely transcendent is gone. And so now when you're building in the absence of Kyrie, it looks like you really left it barren when the reality is it it wasn't that barren. A, A nucleus of Kyrie and Kevin Love is a playoff team for sure
0: right and who knows what else and that kevin love thing i've never given up on kevin love i really came close to giving up on kevin love this year It just seemed like he was being used in a way that did not benefit a lot of the things that he was good at and now for whatever reason him and corver have been unleashed and corver's another one that he's what is he like 36 at this point i don't understand how teams aren't exploiting those guys defensively but it doesn't doesn't seem to matter. Uh, hey, I wanted to ask you about Kawhi quickly because you've been in a, you've never really been in a situation like this one. And I think that Kyrie, what happened with Kyrie uh, last year where he had two years left on his deal, but if it wasn't taken care of, he was going to leave. And I, I've seen this term thrown around on the internet a couple of times that I kind of like called pre-agency. So you're not a free agent, <laughs> but you're like a pre-agent and you can use that as this weird form of leverage to teams where like look man i'd get something for me now paul george did it too i you, you should get something for me now cuz I'm, I'm you know i'm not going to say i'm leaving but i'm probably leaving and it's become this weird form of power and now you see it with Kawhi. kawhi has got a year left you mentioned that you thought LeBron was the most logical place if he was going to leave is L.A. I also agree with that, and I've written about this. LeBron loves narratives. Him going to L.A., him learning from Magic Johnson, him becoming a billion-dollar media mogul. These are all things that would make sense if you followed LeBron's career. Um, what's interesting about him going to L.A., though, they're going to have cap space. They have people to trade to create more cap space. But there's also this smorgasbord of people available, Kawhi, Paul George, maybe even Boogie Cousins, Uh, God knows who else. DeMar DeRozan could be available for all we know. Um, How would you handle the Kawhi thing if you were running San Antonio? Because it really does seem like he's leaving a year from now. What do you do?
1: Well, it's funny. So my intention wasn't necessarily to say that L.A. makes the most sense. It's just I think it's as likely as anything else. San Antonio could be as likely as anything else. Why couldn't San Antonio find a way to clear the space to bring Bron to make Kawhi happy? Bron... Ron thinks pop is an absolute icon. So that that's an outcome that could happen as well. And Mm. if somebody could pull that off, it's pop. So for me, when I look at it and you're making the decision to do this, you have to start with, this is the Spurs. If this was any other organization, I would believe all of the, the fire starter nonsense about he has to leave or you have to get, I, I don't think you have to do anything. It's, You said it about Jerry Buss. No, I'm not trading Kobe Bryant. Well, Pop has the level of control and power to say, no, I'm not trading Kawhi Leonard. But if you're going to not do that, then you need to put him in a position to dictate outcomes. So maybe you have to change pieces around him. I, I think that's more likely than they just cave and move the guy.
0: Well, when you saw that, like, he wasn't coming to the playoff games and stuff like that, what is your read as somebody who has been an executive on a team when somebody's just like, I'm out, I'm yeah, not coming to the games? Look. that's a terrible look. It's a terrible
1: look, and it, it says a great deal about where his mindset is and the, the input he's getting from other people. It said a lot about the way San Antonio sort of publicly hung him out to dry by saying that he was ready and that he's been cleared to play. That surprised me that they went that route but they did it for a reason. And I know that Pop knows his circumstance better than I do, <laughs> but I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's a really negative thing. But again, it, you can overcome it. There was a lot of negativity around LA as well. Kobe and Shaq hated each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Jerry Bus said no. So yeah. in certain situations, you can do that.
0: We're gonna take one more quick break. Hey, a quick break to talk about our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage, which gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple and allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you, whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th. With Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed Decision. Their trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. Get a real mortgage approval in minutes. Adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time. That is Rocket Mortgage. Buy Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. Confidently to get started. Go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org. Number All right, so you're at a cocktail party, it's 10.30 at night, everybody's had a couple drinks and somebody says to you, hey David, give us your best LeBron James story. What is it?
1: Wow, God, that's a great question. Um, I I think the one I've fallen back on the most is is there's two of them. So one, Bron is uh, on the court, we're playing Chicago. The game he hits the fallaway buzzer beater to win for us, it was one of the most ridiculous games I've ever seen in playoff basketball. Earlier in the game, LeBron turns his ankle over on a drive. He steps on someone's foot and literally lays it completely flat to the point where the bone hits the wood. And I'm watching in the back because I'm so nervous I can't even sit in my seat outside. And I'm watching in the back with our trainers and everybody else and I'm like, holy shit, that's not good. So he comes back. uh, His trainer comes back. Mike Mancini comes back to grab something for him so that he's going to lace his shoe up tighter. And I ask him, I say, is he okay? And he says, does he have a choice? Wow. And I'll never ever forget that because Mike doesn't, Say that if that's not bronze mindset and that is bronze mindset he's going to mind over matter his way past things that other people won't i think kobe had a similar mindset and it just got to the point where the physical deterioration was too great but he has that ability to just transcend his situation more so than anybody i've certainly ever been around and steve nash had a great deal of that himself um the other the other Bron story for me that I've always enjoyed is we're standing in the uh, lobby of these four seasons in San Francisco the day Mozgov joins the team. And Mozgov is standing. He's basically coming up the elevator, and he walks off the elevator, and I'm standing with Bron telling him, hey, by the way, Mazzy's on his way, etc. Bron's really excited with the trade, and he feels like this is going to be a meaningful thing. Mozzie walks off the elevator and Bron turns and looks at him and with this joyful little kid kind of grin on his face, he goes, that's a really big dude. And he was awestruck by somebody for the first (laughs) time I'd ever seen it. And I just, I remember the look on his face really, really vividly.
0: That's great. And the, when he did the black in 2016, Were you in the arena for that, or were you hiding somewhere in a conference room having a heart attack?
1: (laughs) No, I was in the arena. Uh, I was with Trent Redden, our assistant GM, and Kobe Altman, uh, who obviously took over the team. And we were all standing next to each other, and I think I hugged and kissed them both at that moment. Um, My favorite part of that, that's actually my favorite J.R. Smith story. Nobody ever gives Jr. the love for being there and forcing the double clutch that enabled LeBron to recover. But yeah. it was one of my favorite things to watch, because in that video, it's almost like he gets posterized doing something very positive.
0: <laughs> right. The. Uh, I, I just wish I had been there. I. I, that's probably my biggest basketball fan regret of this decade was just not being in the house for that chase down block because I had been writing since probably the mid-2000s when it became clear that LeBron athletically was just on some different plane than we had anybody could imagine. And I remember writing, it must have been like 2008 or 2009, like that at some point he was going to give us like one of the great highlights of all time. And it was just a question of what it was. Was he going to dunk over somebody from the foul line? Was he going to like catch some rebound off the top of the backboard? Like we just didn't know, but it was clearly going to be something. And I never imagined it was going to be a block that basically swung the NBA Finals, which is what, and really the best chase down block that's ever happened. And I think that's become his moment. And yet now we're seeing in the playoffs, he's had two buzzer beaters already. He made, I thought, one of the all time craziest buzzer beaters I've ever seen in my life on Saturday with the, running full speed off one leg bag shot. It really, <laughs> yeah. it really does seem like he's hitting this Jordan point that Jordan hit. I felt like in 90, 97, 98, I remember bird he, was able to hit this point in the mid eighties where, uh, they're just kind of fucking around in huge moments on, on <laughs> playoff games. And he's like, yeah. he's, he's playing against himself and not the other people. He's like, oh, I wonder if I can make this shot. I'll try this one. And, I I never remember him doing this before, do you?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. This is actually something, bringing this somewhat full circle, it's something I give Kyrie a lot of credit for because Kyrie was natively like that. He loved to make left-handed finishes that seemed circus-like that he had no reason to have to use, but he would anyway. And he would do it in practices. He and Shump would play one-on-one endlessly after practice doing things like that. And LeBron sort of got into the routine of, of doing these weird, one-legged, left-handed sort of things, finish with spin for no reason. And I think Kyrie, in a weird sort of way, really made LeBron start to think about, you know what, there's more than I'm capable of doing. I, I don't have a left-handed runner, I can't spin the ball off the glass, and I think Kyrie's talent and knack for doing things like that challenged bron and bron saw it and went i want that and he's so damn good he can incorporate it into his own game and to me maybe that's the best lebron story there's literally nothing you can show him that he can't do there's no play you'll run against him he can't name and then go out there and teach your players how to do it better than anybody else i watched him You know, it's funny, you said the thing about not being in the gym, and it's one of your big regrets. I don't think I took a breath for a minute 45. I mean, it was agonizing that last Mm. period of time in that game. But I was also in the gym when I watched him on the floor against Toronto tell Patrick Patterson where he was supposed to go on the play they had called out of timeout late in the fourth quarter. He's like, no, Pat, you're supposed to stand over there, and you're going to pin down for tomorrow over here.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's hilarious.
1: That's
0: who he is. <laughs> you know, I did a podcast with Larry Bird like six years ago, and he was just casually. I, I remember bringing up some game, and he remembered all the details from it. It was some random game, you know, thirty-seven years earlier, and Larry's, "Oh yeah, I remember the third quarter. I was, in, I th- there must be something in these people's brains. Like you said, it was like a learning a computer that's constantly learning, where they're just downloading information all the time." And it never ends, and they can just reach into it and and do whatever they want. Hey, I one last question for you, because obviously you're going to be an executive again at some point in your life, right? You're not just going to be on TV shows with Zach Lowe. Well, you not can do if better than this. People
1: listen to your show, but yes,
0: I'll have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's, I would say, there's four types of situations an executive can take over, and I've talked about this with Daryl Morey. The funniest thing about Daryl was, you know, he's trying to build this contender in Houston and they were always competitive and they always had a really good player. And when Hinkie took that Philly job, he was kind of jealous of it because him and Hinkie had always talked about, well, if I take over a team that's ready to gut the franchise, here's what we would do. You're going to really gut it. You're going to go all out and gut the living hell out of it. And he was watching the Hinky thing really genuinely amused and delighted that Hinkie was doing something they'd already talked about. So you have that scenario, you have the takeover team that is at the crossroads, but has a real chance to win the title. You have the team that has the one good player, but th- it's time to kind of reinvent itself. And then you have the team that's just like, you know, like Brooklyn three years ago where you you just got a blank canvas, no expectations and years to figure it out because everybody knows it's going to be impossible. What is, what's your dream scenario with the next job?
1: You know, I think it's something similar to what we had when we started in Cleveland. You know, Chris Grant never gets mentioned in any of the conversations about the process and any of those things, but we did to a huge degree what Henke started doing. Um, and we did it on the model of OKC in Seattle, what Presti had done when he made the moves he did to, to get younger and trade away Ray and do those sorts of things we were very much using that template i mean pop did it a million years ago when he tanked to to build with right. with the right piece and so yeah by, we, by the way we were using, multiple
0: gms multiple gms have done this before Sam hinky he somehow gets credit as he, he just did it yeah, to the I, nth degree but it's it's been going on for 40 years
1: and, and i think it i i love Sam. And I love how brazen he was and very clear about his mission. Like that's why it was the right thing to do because he was all in on it. So I appreciated that about it. We didn't do it in a similar all in with our verbiage kind of nature in Cleveland. We weren't talking about it, but we were doing something very similar. And I think the reason it was an ideal situation was we got there I started in September, LeBron had left the previous, you know, in July, and it was like jumping into a burning building. You right. could literally do anything you wanted to do, and you had cover, and it was all going to be LeBron's fault for a couple years. So that's that's a great situation. You know, if there's a, a curse to having him on your team, there's a blessing when he leaves, you get an awful lot of cover, um, and you get to learn on the fly. Um, that's a good but point. I, I think that was yeah. I mean I, I think it was just an opportunity to, to really figure it out long term and build in the right, meaningful, sustainable way. And I I would love the opportunity to do that somewhere if it's the right fit, but it's gotta be with ownership that you can be in lockstep with. And that's not common. It's 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 more and more difficult to find the right fit for yourself. You know, I can't preach fit with all of the pieces on the court and, and not invest in the same thing as a human being. So from a leadership standpoint, you just need to be in a situation where you can have the runway to do the right things over time. And that's not what the Cleveland situation certainly was. So holistically, you'd like to get a chance to do it the right way
0: once I suppose. Yeah. What's funny about the NBA is we have a clear roadmap for how this should actually work. You know, we have (laughs) certain teams that are successful year after year and they're successful because they have good players and they also have an organization slash ownership that's in lockstep with each other. I look at a team like the Celtics. They've had the same owner since 2003. They've had the same GM since I think 2004. And his right hand man, Mike Zarin, has been there for the last 10 years and has turned down a bunch of real GM jobs. They've had the same president since the mid two thousands, Rich Gotham. They've had the same CMO since God knows when, my buddy Sully. And it's basically the organization never changes. I saw them at the Philly game. It's like it, it could have been two thousand five. It would have been the same people. And to nobody's surprise, that's one of the best run teams in the league. You know? And then you look at these other teams, like, would you ever in a million years, if you were a rich guy who owned an NBA team, would you ever in a million years make somebody the coach and the GM? Would you ever do this? <laughs>
1: It's a formula that doesn't work. You know, the word "unicorn" is is far too overused. But Pop really is. Belichick really is. What is there like one in each sport that can pull this off over an extended period of time?
0: Yeah, but, but even both of those coaching, guys had they had a ton of help though too. It wasn't like they were just yeah, oh, doing sure. two jobs.
1: Sure. Yeah, and I think Stan and Tibbs tried to give themselves help too. But I, I think the difference is. The, the notion of how you win as a coach is a very, it's a very here and now concept, typically. We're going to win tonight's game, and it's a rare coach who, in and of himself as a coach, can be big enough picture like Brad to connect dots over time and grow young kids and understand from a player development standpoint, this is how I'm going to overlay everything, and into the situation one of the great things that i heard about brad very recently is brad's already put all of the time and effort into understanding what jason tatum's development plan needs to be for the off season to get him to the next step in intricate detail it's already laid out what he needs that's a very rare gift even as a coach yeah So then what you're saying is I want that coach, and I also want that guy to have the even rarer gift of being able to make short- and long-term decisions at the same time. It's a very, very difficult model to to put into place and, and really believe is going to work, despite the fact that you're going to say, well, Belichick does it. Well, sure, Belichick's had Bob Kraft for how long? He's had Tom Brady for how long? Pop does it. Well, he's had ownership he's had with Peter Holt in San Antonio for how long he had Tim Duncan, Manu and Tony Parker for how long he had RC Buford for how long? Yeah. Danny Ainge does it to your point about the stability they've had. That all starts with ownership and their willingness to invest in the process and and empower the right people. And Danny clearly was the right person and they've, They've got the incredible depth that you talked about, right? Mike Theron and all of that. It's the thing that I look back on with the greatest pride, I think, in in Cleveland is we grew a very deep front office. And growing that is hard, let alone growing that in coaching. It's just it's hard to imagine.
0: Yeah, it's easy to be the coach and the GM when you have one of the five best players of all time on your team is the other lesson we've learned. Like Tom Brady. Um Tim Duncan, who's the sixth best player of all time. Uh, you could do it under those circumstances. According to the pyramid. I, yeah, according to the pyramid. I think it's really hard to just go to Detroit or go to uh, Minnesota and just be like, I've got this. Um, but I get it. Like, if you're a coach, you want to have the most power you can have. But at the same time, I think a coach and a GM should look at a team differently. Coaches are too reactionary and they're too close to it. And it's the GM's job to, you know, be parachuting from above and going, "Hey, I noticed this. Hey, this looks off. Hey, I think you're too close to it this way." And ideally, they should work hand in hand. Um, I don't yeah, know. It's, it's... I think the. Oh, god!
1: I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I think the other thing, though, that comes into it is you get good at what you practice, right? Why wouldn't running a team be similar? Because it's not the skill set you've been honing over time then it doesn't make any sense to assume that you would natively be good at it. It's, you you have to do that over a period of time. And in the case of Pop with Duncan, in the case of Belichick with Brady, it's not just that they're transcendently great players, it's that they allow for leadership to lead them. They're selfless enough to just assimilate into the same level of expectation and accountability that everybody else on the team has. And Steve, Steve Kerr tells a great story about Tim Duncan. When San Antonio won the championship, they're coming off the title. Tim is coming off being finals MVP. They're at training camp the next year, and Kerr and Judd Bushler are walking down the ramp of the parking garage. And they had just parked their cars because they weren't staying at the hotel that Pop required everyone to stay at for training camp. Right, So they're doing it at their own facility, but Pop has a hotel he makes everyone stay at in San Antonio. Those two guys are veterans with families, so they don't stay at the hotel. They park their car, they're walking down the ramp, and they see Tim Duncan. And Tim says, hey, guys, w- what are you doing? He said, well, we just parked. We're-, we're walking to practice. He said, Park, you- you're not staying at the hotel? And they said, no, Tim, we're, we're staying at home. Tim said, you, you can do that? Oh. Steve and Judd said, Tim, you're finals MVP, man. You can do whatever you want.
0: <laughs> it's unbelievable. I don't know how pop does it. I've told this story in the podcast before, but uh, I was doing TV once with Avery Johnson. And he was hosting Countdown for somebody. And, and it was a Spurs-Clippers game or Spurs-Lakers, one of them. The Spurs were in town. And Avery Johnson gets a call. He was We were going to go get a drink with him. And he gets this call from pop. He's like, sorry, guys, I got to cancel. We got a team dinner. And Jalen and I are like, what do you mean a team dinner? You're not on a team. And he meant the Spurs. And it was like, (laughs) pop, no matter how long you've not been on the team, pops like, we're going to dinner tonight. You're coming. And Avery Johnson, it was like, he was still a player. He's like, all right, I'll be there at nine 30. I got to cancel all his plans. And he goes to (laughs) eat with the team. But I think that's what he's built. And I think it's, Something that I think Stevens has a chance to do, especially... I think it's much harder in this day and age with the roster turnover you have, and I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of Tim Duncan on the same team for 20 years, moments anymore. Um, But it's pretty cool when it happens. Um, Prediction for the finals, quickly?
1: So I think it'll be Golden State-Cleveland, and I'll pick Golden State again.
0: Okay. Nothing worries you about the Golden state continually not kind of having to light their own fire and being unable to do it for more than one game in a row.
1: Yeah, it did to start the year. I mean, I I think it was pretty obvious they they were complacent and they were struggling with motivation and all of those things, but you give Steph time to rest the knee and get fresh mentally and come back back at it with a fresh set of eyes and, They're being really successful again with actions that they were always successful with. And they just got to the point where they weren't executing them as hard or as well. And now they're willing to do that again because they're back in the spirit of it in the right sort of way. I just, they're, they're so talented that their spirit is what really set them apart. Right. KD looked at all that. I call it a joy engine, but he looked at all of that from a distance and said, God, I want to be part of that. Yeah. And I think they've found that again. And when that thing gets rolling, you just don't, you don't stop it.
0: Last thing, can you explain to everybody in the internet that there's no way the Celtics are trading Jason Tatum for Kawhi Leonard, or really anybody else in the league other than maybe Giannis and Anthony Davis?
1: <laughs> I, I would be stunned if they traded them for anyone, to be honest with you. Um, I think their track record is that they're going to be far more patient than that and, and not jump the gun on those things. You know, what? what makes that team ridiculous to me is their average age is, what, 25? I mean, you know yeah. better than me, but maybe it's 25 and change. They have all of these incredible assets that they have in their coffers moving forward. They've got all these young kids they're developing. The dude they thought was going to be the best player on their team didn't play all year. yeah, And he's coming too. <laughs> so right. Why would you jump the gun and, and try to accelerate the process with someone coming off patellar surgery? Like or or didn't even have the surgery actually right we don't even know whatever it was yeah we don't know what it was
0: yeah it's it's been funny hearing everyone talk about the young Sixers and the young Sixers and meanwhile the Celtics in this series are actually younger their two guys are twenty and twenty one yeah and their coach is younger and they have less veterans than Philly has but that's why we love those narratives David Griffin this was really fun I hope to see you at the finals I'm sure you're going to be there right.
1: Uh I will be there, although I'll be working for Turner, so I may be in Atlanta at the time, but
0: Oh, all right. Well I'm sure I'll see you down the road. Thanks for coming on. I'm glad we finally did this.
1: You bet, Bill. Thanks, man.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Before we call Jacko, we should mention Mother's Day is coming up. My mom refuses to come on this podcast. My dad has been on forty times. My dad now has a Twitter following of 22,000 people, which is astonishing. God damn. At Dr. Bill 1947. You could uh, see him flipping out on Scott Foster, the referee the, uh, during game four. He was very upset about Tom Brady's haircut. All these good things happened with my dad's Twitter feed. And my mom just does not want to come on. And my mom would be a spectacular podcast guest. She has a lot of hot takes, probably more hot takes than anyone I've ever met in my life usually delivered after about two and a half glasses of wine. She won't come on. But the good news is Mother's Day is coming up and I get to spend Mother's Day with her with fresh flowers, guaranteed delivery and unique vases, vases and accessories that mom will love. I think I'm going to use Pro Flowers. They have everything you need and I need for all the moms, you know, just choose the delivery date you want. It's guaranteed. You can even get your gift delivered on Mother's Day, May 13th. May 13th, that's this Sunday, FYI. Don't forget to show mom how much she means to you or make her feel guilty because she'll never come on your podcast. Send her 100 Colorful Blooms with a free glass vase for just nineteen ninety nine plus shipping and handling. Visit proflowers.com. Click on the blue microphone in the upper right corner and use my code BS. That is proflowers.com, code BS. All right, on the line, my buddy Jacko, big Yankee fan. He's been on this podcast roughly a million times. Johnny, yeah. the rav- the rivalry is back. Could you feel it that last it night? It is. It's back, baby. We're back.
2: <laughs>
3: yes, it is. Yes, uh, sir.
0: When Joe Kelly came out of the bullpen and the Yankee fans lost their fucking minds screaming at him, I was like, we right. are so back. And, Absolutely. And there's stars on both teams again. Like, real star power. Like, M- Mookie is the best player in the American League right now. And is on one of the best six week stretches I've ever seen from a Red Sox player. Uh, I'm going to
3: tell you this as an as an opposing as a fan of an opposing team. When he came up last night, he I was legitimately nervous. Yeah, and I was I was downright scared in the ninth inning that they that Vasquez might somehow get on base and then Mookie would come up. I was real, genuinely frightened of that possibility. So well, yeah, he had... he's, he's definitely scary. There's no question about it.
0: He had an unbelievable at bat against Robertson, who everybody chases his stupid breaking ball into the dirt. Right. And he had him 0-2. He fouled off one. He check swinged one. He just stopped it, took a pitch, and then drove in what was the tying run. But it was like right. it was such a great at bat. And I really felt like he was gonna come through. And I, I don't know how long this is gonna last, but see so you have him, you have Stanton and Judge, you have uh two iconic closers,
1: right. you have
0: uh, a bunch of good starting pitchers on both sides. Severino was really great last night. I made fun of Max and He did a tweet about, is there that. any pitcher you'd rather have at his age and all that stuff? But like, I was thinking the same thing. Watch it. He's, he was over a hundred pitches hitting a hundred miles an hour in the radar gun. And I was texting my buddy Hench. And we were like, what the hell is going on? He's a hundred. <laughs> it's the sixth inning. Uh,
3: the funny thing is, is he wasn't even that dominant. He was better the previous game, where he was he was again throwing ninety nine or hundred at his hundredth pitch. And watching the Yankees broadcast last night, Michael Kay said it's like a golfer like shooting your age, you know. That he was could he throw could he throw a hundred at his hundredth pitch? But then he threw a changeup, I think, for ninety. So it didn't happen. But yeah, he he has an incredible amount of stamina, which you don't see, where he can still hump it up at ninety nine or hundred when he's in like the seventeenth inning. It's crazy.
0: It felt like an old school crowd last night too. Like everybody was up on every two strike count. It really kind of felt like the old Yankee Stadium. I know it's not, but it I did have that vibe on my television set.
3: Well, I, I watched the post game on both channels and <clears throat> both the Yankees broadcast and 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 the beauty of living in Connecticut is you get to watch both. And Alex Cora was saying like he felt that the stadium was like it, it sounded like it did in the postseason when he was there at with, with the Astros bench coach last year that it was that loud and that raucous. And wow, I mean, you you got the sense even on TV when Joe Kelly was was warming up, it was going to be like a Roman Coliseum situation. Like, <laughs> give us Joe Kelly, <laughs> send him in. <laughs> <laughs> I was, that crowd wanted blood you know
0: i was worried because the red sox announcers made the point that joe kelly is definitely an adrenaline guy right and that was one of the all-time adrenaline situations and i really thought he was going to throw like 108 miles an hour and his arm was going to come off his body <laughs> <laughs> It was like what's right. going to happen uh, right but uh yeah. And he I mean,
3: actually he did not do as poorly as I would have hoped because although Judge got, got the single and knocked in a run. I mean the Yankees ran ran into some outs on the bases, but he definitely limited the damage, which could have been a lot worse there. So
0: Well, I have some for news me, for you. I wanted to call you to tell you that uh I was officially afraid of Stanton last night. Were you? Yeah. It was it you know, <laughs> that that felt like a playoff game last night, and you go into the mode of who am I afraid of? And I've, uh, you know, and it's sometimes it's irrational. Like I'm always afraid of Brett Gardner, who's like what a career 260 hitter.
3: Yeah, but and he's I, been awful this year.
0: And he's been awful this year, but for some reason, I'm still scared when he's up. But, uh, but Stanton, the thing about
3: Brett Gardner is he'll put a tough at bat, like when it's needed in late innings. He'll work a pitcher, and you know he might not get a hit, but he'll make you know go through like a nine or ten pitch at bat. So right. wear the guy down.
0: But Stanton. He, the second home run he had yesterday looked like he had popped out to like shallow yeah. right field and it right. kept carrying and went like 10 rows into the right field stands. It's pretty frightening when somebody cannot even really get all of a pitch and, and uh, and still put first, it out.
3: The first home run he hit, like they showed the Yankees bench after the fact, and Judge and and CC Sabathia were kind of making fun of his swing because he almost like swung down on the ball and it was just like this laser beam that went out. It was the oddest swing because it was up in the zone and he just like it was like a golf swing. He just got you know not even a golf swing. And I don't know what it was. It just like a like a tomahawk chop that just went out. It was crazy the way it went off his bat and got out in a hurry. So that's a good sign that he, um, you know, the guy's just so big and so strong that even on not the perfect swing, he can knock it out. So maybe the weather's warming up and his furniture's there and all's good now, you know? so
0: it was. It's just comical when those guys come up. They're so gigantic. They look like freaks on, on the television.
3: I know. Like you're already
0: nervous about, I'm already nervous watching the game anyway. And then like these giant Paul Bunyan people come up.
3: That's the one kudos I'll give to Joe Kelly because I remember last year's Yankees team and if if you look at the Yankees this is before they had even had Stanton but like Judge is enormous, Cece's a big guy, Chapman's big, Potencius is big. I remember on opening day we was looking at them when they were all lined up on the foul line and I'm like god no one's ever going to fight the Yankees because they're like a football team okay. and then this year they add Stanton to it. Joe Kelly is either dumb enough or crazy enough that he's like, bring it on (laughs) (laughs) or he's suicidal enough. I'm not sure which, but, uh, you know, kudos that takes guts. You can tell he's Irish that he's going to take on everybody. So.
0: Well, that Tyler Austin is no small guy either. They, they do have some big dudes in that team.
3: They definitely do. So, and their lineup, you know, I don't know if it's going to last, but it's, you know, I mean, I, the good thing is there's there's so much talent in their lineup that, you know, D.D., who was the best player on earth a couple of weeks ago, and now he's like 0 for 15. Gary Sanchez, you know, was hitting home runs left and right everywhere, and now he's in kind of a slump. But there's still some other guy that's going to rise to the challenge. You know, Glaber had a big, had a huge hit over the weekend, and andahar was red hot. He's cooled off, but it's like the next man up. You know, like some guy's always there that's going to be hot. And their lineup is just. It's got to be a nightmare for a pitcher to work through because there's no breathers, you know?
0: Is is Gla- How old is Glaber? Is he like 35 years old? No,
2: he's What's like 21.
3: going 21? out with that dude?
0: No, I know. But when, you, when you see him, he has like he, this he grown, older. grown man, old guy body. He's got this yeah, big he ass. Does. He does not look <laughs> like a rookie at
3: all. <laughs> no, he looks older than 21, but they claim he's 21. i I'll, one. I'll go with that. Hopefully they have that on good authority.
0: <laughs> I was expecting... Cause I hadn't seen him until he joined the team. I, I was expecting somebody who looked like the bat boy or something. Cause big was baby just like, face, right? yeah, just like this little kid. And yeah. uh, now he looks like a grown ass man.
3: <laughs> he really does. So, so yeah. And I mean, you know, the socks, Mookie makes you nervous. And then, and then, you know, the rejuvenated Hanley that uh, Benintendi, you get a little bit of a break, but then, and then Hanley and JD Martinez make you nervous. And Hall of Famer Xander Bogarts is always yep. liable to get on base. After that, you can you can sort of relax a little bit. I gotta be honest; like, you know that that seven eight nine with automatic out Jackie Bradley Jr. and and Christian Vasquez it's really not putting the fear of God into anybody.
0: It's tough because my dad and I are not not giant JBJ fans, Right. and it's it seemed like there was this window last winter to trade him and right. get real value. And I don't know why, maybe I imagined this and it was a dream I had and I just wanted this to happen. Or I saw this on the internet or this is a real thing, but it seemed like there was a chance that they could flip him for, for Cole on Pittsburgh or one of those, one of those type of trades <laughs> right. put him with somebody else. And then you get, and it was like, wow, do that now, please do it right. Cause wasn't the other there thing allegedly,
3: is, wasn't there allegedly like a, a puig for JBJ trade offered by the Dodgers?
0: Oh, I would, can we do that now? I, I can swear that, that I read
3: about that in the off season, and and you know Puig brings some headaches and and what have you, but he mm. he could have been an icon in Boston with you know with a big bat and everything, and it could have gone one of two ways. It either would have just been an enormous disaster, or he could have been like a legendary icon, just hitting home run over after home run over the Green Monster. But oh, the Red Sox, you know, beat writers, everything were like, oh, you can't do that because JBJ is so valuable on defense. But I mean to call him a liability on offense is a, is offensive to liabilities. I mean, he he's just an automatic out. That's why I, when Chapman hit him in the ninth inning, I was like, "Oh my god. You you could throw it up there underhanded. You can't hit you can't try <laughs> to get cute and like hit JBJ when he's an out, you know?"
0: Yeah, and they have they have other guys who could play center field, which makes it even more frustrating. The 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 death of the Red Sox catchers this year has been I think the strangest part of the season cuz other than whatever the hell is going on with David Price, but um Vasquez I, I don't want to say he was like Johnny Bench in the mid-70s but <laughs> yeah. he he did have good at bats and I did feel like he was going to come through and he's been just a sieve this year he's he cannot hit anything and Wasn't
3: Blake Swihart a catcher at one point or am I crazy
0: he was H- Hench and I were texting about that yesterday like we just assume maybe he can't throw to second base or something, but he's got to be better. He was better like than... a highly
3: touted Red Sox he prospect, was. right? Yeah. And I thought he was a catcher and he was going to be the catcher of the future. And, and now, he, now where does he play, like infield or something?
0: I don't know. It really seems like Gary Sanchez is the only highly touted minor league catcher who's ever actually <laughs> made it for the original team that he was highly touted on. Everybody <laughs> else like bounces better... around
3: we'd like it better if he could actually catch but um <laughs> his, his offense make, more than makes up for that so but um yeah letting the ball go through his legs is, is a little troublesome but yeah we'll he work doesn't on, always we'll catch the ball.
0: he doesn't always catch the ball
3: no that's that's a little disconcerting
0: <laughs> it reminds me of my son's 10-year-old baseball games where the poor ump who's behind the catcher half the time the catcher misses the fastball that then just nails the umpire like in the chest protector thing and the poor right. guy it's like he's under assault for three hours <laughs> all these pitches flying around and that must be how the ups feel when gary sanchez is in front of them like oh fuck i'm making well, the balls there,
3: there was a game the other day and they brought in chapman and he threw one like 102 and, and there was no chance that sanchez was going to catch it and hit the ump right in the mask and uh Chapman was all mad at Sanchez, and it was like you could have had three catchers back there. They weren't catching it because Chapman was so wild. But it's like right. he automatically blamed Sanchez. Like you got to catch that. So <laughs> that one was one that was not Gary's fault. But he had the one last night. I forget who was batting, but uh, he was struck out. Struck him out, and then the ball went through his legs. On the, he couldn't handle the slider. Not through his legs. That was the other day. He he couldn't handle a slider. Went off to the right. Guy gets on base, extends the inning. It was just little shit like that is bothersome.
0: Are you scared of JD had a Martinez? Fifty
3: home run, and I forget about it. So,
0: yeah, true. Are you scared of JD Martinez? Uh,
3: I thought he was a little frisky. Yeah, I was surprised, but yeah, he had some good at bats, and I, I was a little nervous about him. It, it definitely that addition was good for them, as much as I hate to admit that, because yeah, it extends their lineup, and and you got him following Hanley. That that's pretty it's pretty capable uh, three, four there. So yeah, he, he did make me nervous. Not as nervous as Mookie, but there were a couple times I was like, you know, we don't want JD Martinez coming up with uh, a guy with guys on base. He did have a four home run. I think he had a four homer game against the Yankees last year or the year before. So, you know, I don't, I don't want him to start being a coming a Yankee killer. So yeah, he did make me nervous.
0: The problem with Mookie is he's coming up after the end of the lineup, which has been a quagmire and he's yeah. he's uh, he's on pace to have like sixty five homers and seventy two right. RBI. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, them, I was seasons. watching their.
3: Uh, the Yankees had a dig in the other day, and the Red Sox were playing at night. And I I watched some of their game, and then they were talking to the, in the post game, and and Cora was like, "Well, we like him leading off because he gets a lot of at pads, But I'm like, "There's nobody on base, though. I mean, that yeah. of the, back of the lineup when it turns around again is just awful." Like. If they drop him down, you know, he's hitting everything in the world. He's going to knock in a lot more runs. It seems that would be more valuable than getting a multiple at bats where there's nobody on base. But, you know, does, what do I know? Does it doesn't
0: make a lot of sense. So we got, right now, we have, are we tied now?
3: Yeah, 25 and 10 for both of them.
0: And then you have the Astros at 23 and 15. Yeah. Getting getting more publicity than the Yankees or the Red Sox. Everybody, we had wrote a piece on the Ringer about it. How incredible their starting rotation is! All I can <laughs> say is scoreboard. We got we got like a f- three game lead on those losers.
3: You know what's crazy is that it's it's May ninth. There's another you know almost five months of the season to go and the American League playoffs it's basically set right it's going to be the Yankees and the Red Sox one's going to win the east and one's going to be the wild card the Indians are going to win the central and then it's going to be Houston and Anaheim and one of them's going to win the division and the other one's going to be the other wild card right like is there any doubt
0: well i think i think Houston wins the division right and then and then it's the Mariners versus the Angels for that that uh second wild card spot all right, so or, ma- or maybe so, they get both of them. Actually, actually, I did my math wrong. Yeah, it'll be the Angels and the Mariners in the wild card game.
3: Well, it'll be, no, because the, the wild card will be it'll be either the Red Sox or the Yankees who don't win the division again. Oh, yeah, Atlanta. you're right.
0: So the Angels Mariners for that second spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My right. Bad. My bad. But
3: essentially, like, unless unless the Yankees or Red Sox completely implode and Toronto was somehow to get back in the mix, which I don't think is going to happen. I mean, it's like May 9th, and you basically you could just pencil in the playoffs right now, right in the American what? League.
0: Well, I think yesterday um between getting no hit by the uh the very very underrated but not by anybody who's in an American League only fantasy league James Paxton. Right. And then and then their closer had like a really bad domestic violence situation. They we might not see that guy again. Um, right. I think Toronto's done. So the, the Mariners versus the Angels, I for some reason I'm still not 100% buying the Angels. Really? Like Otani's already had how many injuries and little yeah. minor things and stuff. And it's like, bar- it's not even mid may yet. And he said blisters and a couple, of, I, I I don't know. I just don't, I don't trust that one. I don't think their lineup is that good. I, I, the Mariners are kind of grown on me.
3: The the funny thing is, if you, if you look at the American league, like I looked at the American league central today, the Indians are like 17 and 18 and they have like a two game lead. Yeah. Central is an atrocity.
2: The so twins Baltimore's didn't show one of the
3: worst. Baltimore is one of the worst teams in the history of baseball. It, you know, it's ridiculous how bad the, if you look at the rest of the American league, it's horrible.
0: Well, that's the thing The Machado trade is going to be what probably swings the, the fabric of it a little bit. Assuming he gets yeah, depending where he goes, if
3: they, you know, the Angelos would probably rather trade into the national league if he could, obviously, but that, yeah, if somebody gets him, that's going to make a world of difference.
0: Yeah, because the, the Astros, Yankees because
3: they have no place to play him. But
0: well, that neither do the Astros. The Astros, <laughs> right. The Astros and Yankees have no spot for him. Right. The, Reds, Which limits the, the market. Red Sox, right. you know, we, him next to Hall of Famer uh, Xander Bogarts would be great. But we have future multi MVP Raphael Devers too. I don't. We don't have a place for him. Right. He can't and play then, for and us. You know,
3: if you if the Sox were to get him and they say to Devers, okay, you're, you're, you're you know you're on the bench now or whatever, but then no, either, we're not doing that. Either, no. Either Machado or Bogarts has to move to third then and they both want to play shortstop, so that yeah causes no.
0: problems. He can go. we don't yeah, like don't. him anyway. Stay away from the Red right. Sox. man. Boston
3: it. hates him, right. So So it's I, interesting. Like, I got you know, I mean l- literally the <laughs> the American League East, the winner's gonna have hundred and twenty games and the losers gonna have hundred and nineteen the second place teams. <laughs> right. 'Cause playing the you know, I get to play Baltimore nineteen times. I forget the Yankees have already started off awful against them incredibly when the Yanks were in the doldrums I like at the beginning it. of the season. I like but, the
0: haves and the have-nots in the American League. This is what we grew <laughs> up with, and I want it to come back.
3: <laughs> right. It's crazy. And the Central is like, you know, the Indians are going to win that division with 82 wins.
0: Johnny, do you, do you think 40 years from now you're bouncing your grandkids on your lap telling them about the Vegas-Tampa NHL finals in 2018? <laughs> well,
3: it's funny you said that. I was—I meant to text you because I've been listening before Francesa came back. I—I now I alternate between Francesca and uh, Mad Dog Russo on on Sirius. And the other day he had a hockey guy on, and the hockey guy's prediction for the Stanley Cup was Tampa against Winnipeg. And I I seriously, because you and I used to always joke about like the NBC promos when there was no stars or anything or like the most obscure possible championship. Winnipeg, Tampa for the Stanley Cup. I don't think that can ever be topped. Gary Bettman literally will be out on the ledge on like Fifth Avenue of wherever the NHL headquarters is, (laughs) like having to be talked in off the ledge. I mean, is anybody on earth going to watch Tampa Bay if it's Tampa, Winnipeg? I keep calling him Tampa Bay. It's probably not the Tampa Bay. Tampa, Winnipeg. Or the Tampa Bay.
0: No, it's it's uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Tampa Bay Lightning Winnipeg and the Winnipeg Jets. Jets.
3: Like literally, is anybody in America going to watch that? <laughs> that or, would be the funniest. That would be the funniest thing in the world. That would literally get negative <laughs> ratings.
2: <laughs> Tampa, Winnipeg.
0: What? What was the first one that was our joke for that? I I feel like it was the late nineties. <laughs> I'm gonna say like 1999. And it was like the possibility of an Indiana-Portland NBA Finals. And we were like, Smits! <laughs> Wallace! <laughs> and we were doing the fake NBA uh, Finals commercials for those. Right. Yeah.
3: I I'm, I'm rooting so hard. I mean, you know, the the Whalers don't exist anymore, the Rangers to the extent that I'm a bandwagon hopper on or I, I need an NHL team. The Rangers oh. are out of it. I, I couldn't root any harder for a Tampa Bay, Winnipeg, Stanley Cup final right <laughs> now. <laughs> so I can't
2: name
0: um, I can't name one guy on Winnipeg. I honestly can't. If the... you could offer me, you could offer me $5,000 and I wouldn't be able to get one guy in Winnipeg. I, I know Tampa just cause the Bruins played them. So I actually watched those guys. Right. Winnipeg, I have no idea.
3: And they None. have McDonough and Callahan from the Rangers. So I do know that. And mm. what's the guys they have Stamkos is a big player, but like I literally couldn't name a single guy in Winnipeg.
0: Winnipeg well, the, biggest, th- the biggest thing is, is it's almost like if, uh, if Hartford just randomly got an NBA team this year and they were in the finals right. and you, everyone's just said you still have the tags on your hats and exactly. the, the tags on your jerseys, and you're all of a sudden in the finals. Like, that's
3: what I, we, Well, the Mad Dog and the hockey guy, Mad Dog was like, I got
1: a little problem with the NHL. I
3: mean, look at this draft, because <laughs> they got an expansion team, and they like got all these phenomenal players. <laughs> like, weren't teams allowed to protect anybody? It was ridiculous. They yeah. won their first playoff, the, the first playoff game this round. It was like 8 nothing. They won <laughs> and their expansion team. Crazy. We had
0: We had Katie Bakes on the podcast yesterday, and she was saying that when they actually did the draft, people weren't that impressed by who they got. Really? So she was like, it wasn't one of those things where they did the draft and people were like, Oh my God, we did this wrong. It's a they, they're they're yeah. too good. They were like, Oh, that's kind of a weird team. And then it kind of throve Yeah. So Francesa's back. Right. It's that, it's been a somber Mike Francesa so far. It
3: has been. I think it's a, it's a sheepish Mike Francesa because, when you go out in a blaze of glory and you're burning every bridge behind you, and then you have to go back and rebuild the bridge and crawl back over it, it's, it's got to be tough. And all he does is like hype up this app that's like basically like, what's this app going to do for me? It's, it's going like to change my life, apparently, like get me up and shower me and get me dressed and put me in a Ferrari or something. Like he hypes the hell out of this app, and it's really wow. going to be like a, his sports football show. I don't think it's going to be that revolutionary.
0: I love Francesa. You love Francesa. Me too. Um, I thought it was hilarious when he, his comeback show and he's like, uh, I think apps are going to be a big thing. Yeah, right. right. I think apps. It's like, right. <laughs> we've had apps for like a decade. A- apps. <laughs> I t- Apple makes like billions of dollars off apps. Right, like, I, think, right. I think there's this thing coming called apps and I think they're going to be uh, big.
3: I'm going to go out on the limb and say cars might be better than horses. <laughs> uh, I think it might finally be time. That a car it might be the way you go to work.
0: I think there's this thing coming called streaming video. It's going to be huge. <laughs> right. It's going to re- potentially replace cable and satellite. Mock my words. Right. right. But uh, how long do you think they spent with Mike at dinner with the CA guys and Mike, uh-huh. where they explained to him the difference between apps and appetizers? <laughs> is it apps like fried mozzarella sticks. They're like, no, no apps. <laughs> I like, know the apps for your computer, like apps like uh, mushrooms. The funniest,
3: yeah. uh, the funniest thing is that he, you know, he was on Twitter, as you you pointed out to me, and said, you know, he's going to be on Twitter. The first day I'm listening, and he's talking. He's like, I'm going to be on Twitter and Snapchat, Instagram, whatever he's on. I know he's on Twitter. And then people would call up and be like, are you going to be live on Twitter? Like, will you respond to that? And he's like, uh, no, it's going to be run by other people. I know. <laughs> just shut it right down. No, that'll just be to tell, like, promos and when the app's coming out. Like, oh, thanks, Mike. Their Twitter feed's fantastic. Like, if I <laughs> ask you a question, like, you will never be there to respond or look at it. So,
0: I would not be engaging with any of you.
3: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs>
0: it was funny Mike, I have the... questions
3: about the Winnipeg-Tampa Stanley Cup? <laughs> Can I send this to you on Twitter? <laughs> What about Winnipeg's backup goalie? Who do you like in that one, Mike?
0: The, if, they'll probably rig it so that it's Washington, Vegas. That's what yeah, David Stern to. would do. Washington, Vegas is a fun series, even though nobody even knows, could recognize the Vegas uniforms or anything.
3: Hey, but, Gary Bettman learned at the knee of Stern. Isn't that where he came from? He was like a Stern underling. So he, if he, you know, Stern's going right. to call him up and be like, you have to throw yourself in front of this Tampa-Winnipeg train that's coming down the track. <laughs> Although part of me I can't to- <laughs> say Tampa, Winnipeg without laughing. It just cracks me up so much. I want that so badly. I have never wanted anything more in my life.
0: <laughs> the funniest thing will be it's, it's this 25 year tradition of whoever wins the cup. It's like the happiest moment of the fan base's life. And then Bettman right. comes out and they immediately turn and boo him for three minutes. So, Absolutely. so if Vegas wins the Stanley cup and Bettman has delivered them this team. All he's done is done positive things for the people of Las Vegas with hockey. Like he brought them an expansion team. He's expanding. Nobody understands it. Phoenix shouldn't even have a team that could have just disbanded. Phoenix moved it to Las Vegas. Now he's going to take more money and keep the crappy, terrible Phoenix team. And then, uh, so he's going to come out They're They're not going to boo him. This might be the one place where he doesn't get booed.
3: Well, how about Winnipeg? Winnipeg was like the Whalers, where there used to be a Winnipeg Jets, and then they mm. left. They, I think, they're the team that moved to Phoenix, and there was no Winnipeg Jets. And then he got them to have a Winnipeg team back. Right. So, and they're, but they're still going to boo him, like even though he gave them their franchise back. If they win the Stanley Cup, you know, not only did they lose a team and then get a team back, and then if they win the Stanley Cup, but they're still going to boo him.
0: I've been to Winnipeg. I went there for an ESPN piece in like two thousand one when uh. Remember Brian Dennehy and Season of the Brink? Yes. Remember they did that movie? So Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, the Bobby Knight one.
0: If you Google my name and Season of the Brink Brian Dennehy, there's some article I wrote about it in 2001. I didn't and have they enough it ju- in Winnipeg? Yeah, I didn't have enough juice to stop it and they sent me there and it was I'm going to say January and it was oh. it was like -9 And it was minus 40 windchill. And like everybody in the hotel, the one nice hotel that they have there, everyone's like, don't stay outside for too long. Like not even, (laughs) not even it's bad for your health. It's like you'll die. (laughs) And the downtown was like one block. And uh, it was just incredible. I was like, how did this place have a hockey team? This is my reaction in 2001. Like, oh my, they had a hockey team here. This place is like the size of my fingernail. And, uh, And it's freezing. And now they have a hockey team that might make the finals. Yeah.
3: But I've, but I've heard on Mad dog that their fans, like their fans travel and their fans are rabid. They're like, because it's probably like green Bay Packers. Like it's the only thing in town and everybody is super duper into it and they love it. And, don't let my laughing ca- cast any aspersions on the fine citizens of Winnipeg or its hockey team, but just the notion that that's going to get any kind of a rating is so badly ridiculous. When the, you know, the casual hockey fan, if there's an original six team in it, like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, the Bruins, I've heard of them, or the Blackhawks. Oh, yeah, I like their uniforms. There is no juice with Winnipeg-Tampa. None. No. Nah. Well, you Zero. know—
0: yeah, I don't want to make it seem like I don't think Winnipeg should have a team because I think like no. twelve. I think twelve Canadian cities should have a team. There should be more right. teams in Canada. Right. I don't know why Phoenix has a team. It still hasn't been explained to me. There should I don't not be a team it.
3: in Phoenix, and there should not be a team in Miami. Like no one's leaving Miami to go into an ice rink. Nobody wants no. to go to in Phoenix and do an ice rink. Nobody understands hockey. Nobody grows up playing it. There's, they both those teams should move to Canada or,
0: or Hartford. Hartford. Yeah. Hartford should have one of those teams. You would one you of those would love teams those should teams. move to
3: Hartford and the other one should move to Quebec city. There you, you go. could have, you could
0: have a new NHL team and it could be run by new GM, Gino Oriema. And then that, and right. everything. And assistant GM, Rebecca Lobo. And you bring Absolutely. in all these UConn women's basketball stars and maybe Kevin Ollie's the announcer. And you just, sure. you just they suck it him, right so. into UConn. Yeah. Poor Kevin Ollie. Does UConn have a yeah. coach
3: yet? Yeah. They hired uh what's his name? Um, Bobby Hurley, Danny Hurley, no, Danny Danny Hurley, Hurley. Danny Hurley. Oh, that's right. Bobby Hurley was the better player. Danny Hurley from Seton Hall, and and he was a player at Seton Hall, and then he was the coach at URI. He's the new UConn guy. You excited? (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Why not? (laughs) Sure. Um, I don't understand why he took that. I don't understand why he took that job because. He was being groomed or not groomed, but he was being sought after by Pitt. And Pitt is in the uh I don't know these conferences anymore, but they're in a good conference pit. They're like in the big are they in the Big Ten?
0: Uh I think they're in the Pac twelve.
3: <laughs> yeah, they're in some <laughs> conference that's better than whatever UConn's said, Let's put it that way. And, yeah. and even though they went like 0 and 17, are they in the ACC pit? Maybe it's even better. They might be in the Me ACC the hell knows.
2: Who can And keep they track?
3: went like 0 and 17 in that conference, but still, that's like a real conference. You can recruit real players there. But Danny Hurley always had it, was like his dream job to come to UConn. And so they're fired up. They, they say it's like getting Calhoun at it when he was you know young and in his prime.
0: Before he became
3: a and You could recruit players, but, you know, the American conference, I don't think has a great deal of pull, but sure. All the best for Danny Hurley. Good luck to him.
0: Danny goes in and sees Gino and he's like, hey, I just wanted to introduce myself from Danny Hurley. Gino's like, get the fuck out of (laughs) here. Exactly. You will never step on my throne. Exactly. You will be over there. This is my town, baby. That's it. That's it. Uh, Yeah. Jacko, Mm. always a player. Oh, give me your 30, uh, 30 seconds on Trump before we go.
3: wow just this 30 seconds uh, well, I'll give today, four, i give you 42 today was a classic trump cuz I, I saw something on twitter where apparently he had a, some i don't know a press conference but a cabinet meeting and the press was in there and somebody said do you do you think you deserve the uh, nobel prize because of his you know alleged brokering of peace in korea and uh he's like well everyone's saying i do but i would never say that just <laughs> God, just a, <laughs> who else would say that on earth? Everyone's saying I deserve it. I wouldn't say that myself, but God, it's such a clown.
0: Who say that? Just, Did one person say it?
3: No, I, I don't think, I think the president of South Korea, because he knows the way to get it, whatever you want for so the United States is just to suck up to Trump and tell him he's like a God King. And then you, you get what you want.
0: I was at dinner last night with my, my dad and my uncle Don, and we started talking about Trump and, my uncle Don was like, it was something about, well, maybe, yeah, maybe Trump will, who knows? This maybe he won't get reelected and there's only two years left. And, and, uh, and Uncle Don was like, it's crazy that he's still the president. <laughs> I mean, look at all the stuff that just happened last week. And he listed like three things and we're like, yeah, right. this is crazy. Like, we're, we're so deep into it at this point that, the fact that he paid off a porn star and laundered the money through his lawyer and then reimbursed the lawyer, like that would have sunk. I think any political figure we've ever had up till now, just that it, it one. It redefines
3: incident. the, it redefines the Tyson zone. I mean, it, you know, I remember the bill Clinton thing with, you know, his mistresses and the Monica Lewinsky thing. And that like basically ground the country to a halt. And that was the subject of like infinite amounts of cable news viewing. And, stories and bombshells and newspaper articles and magazine articles. Stormy Daniels, like I can't turn on my computer without her being on Yahoo and Google and everywhere yeah. else you go. And she's like a household name now. And people are just like, oh, yeah, Trump had sex with a porn star and had a shell company to pay her off. Everyone's right. like, eh, whatever. like We just move on to the next insanity.
0: Well, he's it's going to be interesting if Biden runs against him and you know Trump will play up the whole plagiarism thing from 30 years ago right oh no question call him like lying joe biden lying joe plagiarizing joe he will just like oh, be yeah. beating that in the ground and he'll just be he'll be like the underlying theme will be like look everybody's a bad person
3: exactly you That's might as well vote for me
0: because joe biden's a bad person too and that person's bad and we're all bad we're all crooks
3: you know, and and the thing that Trump did was usher in this era of all these people that are just like insane people that shouldn't be involved in politics. Like this dude that just ran in West Virginia in the Republican primary, and he, he owned some mines. Twenty nine people got killed, and the guy went to jail. And yeah. he's running and, and running for you know, and he's running and talking about China people, and people <laughs> didn't like run him out of town on like a rail. Like everyone's <laughs> just like, oh well, you know, he could win. Uh, and just like, oh my god, it's like a circus. It's insanity.
0: I don't know why I laugh. I love. Yeah, I don't know why I laugh, but it it's it's I guess what is it? Tragedy plus comedy equals time.
3: Right. There, there hasn't been enough equals, time. Yeah, you or know, whatever right, it is. Yeah. That
0: I love the fact that Rudy Giuliani is involved again, who's just a flat out lunatic.
3: Like, Oh yeah. And he's so past his prime. It's ridiculous. And he comes out with some idiotic statement and then everybody's like, what did he just say? And like, what right. did he just admit to? And then, and then the next day they're like, Oh, he didn't mean to admit to that series of crimes. Like, just forget about it. You know, Rudy's a little confused.
0: Like if Rudy was in your family and you're having a big family dinner, like your daughter's birthday party and, and your wife was like, uncle Rudy's coming and you'd be like, Oh really? Yeah. Keep Uncle Rudy's Uncle coming. Rudy. Like, don't oh my god. Rudy's don't stories, don't right. Yeah, if Uncle Rudy starts talking to you, just can we have a signal to get away from him? And yeah, this, this, this guy is, is guy like in a after, position of power.
3: This is the guy after 9/11 that was like America's hero and, you know, triumphant in a, in the face of tragedy on that day and everything else and it's it's a perfect example of just staying on the scene too long. You know, you got you got to know when to you got to know when to retire, got to know when to exit. Got to know when to exit the stage. I think it was Rudy's time a while ago.
0: Yeah, a while ago, Jeff, two two thousand two. It's crazy when Derek Jeter was good. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> wow.
3: I wonder if Trump will will uh, welcome the uh, two thousand eighteen Stanley Cup champion Winnipeg Jets to the White House, even though oh, they're not from America.
0: Very valuable. <laughs> I want to know when when if this Yankees team does really well when Trump ingratiates himself, into this whole Yankees thing will be uh, will no be there's funny there's, to ask.
3: New York is ascendant. Yeah, that's the part I'm that's the part I'm most dubious about. <laughs> Trump attaching himself to the Yankees. That's when the season will start to implode.
0: I'm going to the Yankees game. I'm sitting in the first row. It's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful team. I'm very proud of these large men.
3: <laughs> Take They're pictures. of winners like me. I love winners. Aaron Boone's a winner. Aaron Judge is a winner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I met Giancarlo Stanton and his roommate. <laughs> they, t- they show me pictures of the furniture. It was wonderful. Beautiful.
3: It's got a beautiful couch. It's a beautiful Be- kitchen table.
0: Beautiful view Marble. of the city. It's great. Beautiful. It's wonderful. Fantastic. Uh, all right, Johnny. This was a pleasure as always. We, uh, we'll talks. talk to you soon. Take care.
3: Excellent. All right. Take care.
0: All right. Thanks to David Griffin. Thanks to Jacko. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, our presenting sponsor. Go to ZipRecruiter.com to check them out. Thanks to Hotel Tonight. They help you book amazing deals at great hotels up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else, whether you need a sweet deal and a nice room for today for the winter or beyond. Start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app right now thanks to Casper. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash BS using BS at checkout. I got a Casper mattress and dumped my old one on nephew Kyle. Enjoy my old mattress, nephew Kyle. That's (laughs) Casper.com slash BS. Offer code BS for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Go Celts. Let's bring it tonight, Boston. And uh, we'll be back Friday on the BS Podcast. Until then.